0: and beautiful singing and welcome to everyone if you're visiting with us a special welcome to you and uh, welcome to everyone who's joining us online we uh, continue in our series on uh, oh it's not up there but it's on the unseen world and uh, we've looked at God angels Satan demons now we're in that those unseen abodes, where do people go for eternity? Where does a disembodied soul go tomorrow if, it, if they die and so forth? And so we're looking at, at uh, those great truths. So we're back in Luke chapter 16, you see, so you can be turning there if you like. I've got two announcements to make. One is uh, we have some people who are joining the church on February the 12th, and that's two weeks from today. So if you're interested in uh, getting more information about joining the church yourself, you could join on the 12th, or you could join on the following Sunday sometime. There is a sign-up list. We've, we've got a sign-up list at the Welcome Center. So if you'll put your name on there and your telephone number, I'll call you, answer your questions, discuss it with you, and so forth, if you're interested in joining the church. Then on the following Sunday, which is the 19th, we're going to be baptizing. And uh, if, you, if you're saved and you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, this would be a good time to do it. So uh, there's a sign-up list as well at the Welcome Center. You, you uh, put your name and your telephone number, and I will call you, and, uh, and we can set up a time to be baptized either in three weeks or uh, sometime soon thereafter. Luke chapter 16. Well, we're in that abode we've talked about hell and Hades and we've talked even more so about heaven in this passage Jesus talks about both of them and so we're going to read three verses and then we'll come back and cover this passage so keep your Bibles open verse 22 says and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom Abraham's bosom by the way was a was a very familiar term to the Jews. It meant heaven. Abraham was in heaven. And you would be carried to Abraham's side or Abraham's embrace. Uh, And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And uh, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Pray with me for a moment. Father, thank you for our time together today. Make it profitable as we look into your word together. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I came across what I thought was a beautiful story about Dr. Vernon Whaley Dr. Whaley had been training worship leaders for many, many years, for decades and he has a passion for worship and for training worship leaders and all of that comes from him growing up in a little Baptist church in Alaska Uh, the church he attended as a child his parents were missionaries to Alaska and uh, uh, they had a deep concern for everyone but for p- particularly for people with disabilities or people who had gone through uh, a particularly difficult time. He describes the church like this. He says, When they met for the services, it was a remarkable crowd. An alcoholic turned deacon. A prostitute transformed into a Sunday school teacher. A blind man who played the piano. A former fugitive who kept the church grounds. A young woman lame from birth. A young man with Down syndrome who helped take the offering. But they all sang praises unto God. On Sunday nights, they sometimes would have an extended, what, you know, we've called it, uh, a night of worship they had extended singing on Sunday nights sometimes as well and uh, Dr. Whaley describes one of those he says on one Sunday night there was a stir in the middle of the congregation while we were singing and, and uh, uh, he turned around to see that a significantly disabled girl that's his term slowly steering her wheelchair to the front of the church. The converted alcoholic got up and helped her roll uh, to the front of the pulpit. The pastor missionary came down near to her, and she, using an alphabet slate, you know, a, a, a board like with letters on it, and she could point to those letters. And using that alphabet slate... She said she wanted to sing a solo. She wanted to sing Amazing Grace. Well, the pastor said, sure. And the blind pianist struck up a tune for Amazing Grace. And the girl began, Now, these are, these are his words, she began to groan and have moanings in time with the music. He said, and I'm quoting, I was not able to clearly understand a word she sang. But somehow, the music and the articulation of words did not matter. All of us understood what she was doing and more important, why she was doing it. There was no doubt we all knew that she was singing from her heart to the living God. There was not a dry eye in the audience. Even the children, who were always fidgety, stopped to listen. He said, and I quote, they were stilled at least for a moment. And then he comments, on that scene from his childhood can you imagine the moment tens of millions of us join the tens of millions of angels all of our disabilities gone all of our problems solved all of our burdens lifted and we lift our voices in a choir of billions and sing of God's amazing grace amen that's coming for believers like you and me that's coming one day we're gonna sing with the angels and with the saints and we're gonna sing on the great topics like amazing grace and the blood of Christ and there'll be a great number there in Revelation chapter five we have a little glimpse of that singing and it says they sang that they uh, they worship the lamb who was slain and they sang who he has redeemed us by his blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and the number was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands on top of that in chapter 7 it says a great multitude which no man could number of all nations kindred tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, and they sang with a loud voice, Salvation to our God, who reigneth upon the throne and to the Lamb. And then one more, and that is in Revelation chapter 19, we get another glimpse into that heavenly choir. And it says that I heard, as it were a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, so I always think about Niagara Falls. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, that sound is deafening. It's mighty waters. That's what the that's what this singing in heaven sounds like. Mighty waters and the voice of mighty thunderings. And they're saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor unto him. Amen? What a scene. What a sight. And you and I who are redeemed will be there on that great day. Jesus speaks about heaven here. And he uses the term Abraham's bosom. He also speaks of hell. And we talked about this last week. Uh, there, about the two words. I'll come back to that. I want to say this. I know hell is not a pleasant subject. It's not a pleasant subject for you to hear. It's not a pleasant pleasant subject for me to preach on. But many years ago, nearly 50 years ago, as a young preacher, I said to the Lord, I would preach the whole counsel of God. All of the Bible, all of God's Word. This is a part of God's Word. Now, I know there are some preachers who jump up and down and holler and preach on hell every Sunday. I'm not one of those. But hell is part of God's Word. It's truth. And it needs to be preached. And since I'm on the subject, I want to be thorough with the subject. And so I ask you to bear with me for another week or two. Now, last week we looked at those words, Gehenna. There's two words translated hell in the King James. And uh, Gehenna is used 12 times. That word, hell, fell from the lips of Jesus 11 of those 12 times. The other word is Hades. And if you have a newer translation, that would be the word that's here in our text. And it's probably there uh, as Hades for you. That word is used 11 times in the New Testament and 4 times it fell from the lips of our Savior. So 15 times Jesus spoke on hell Hades and and used these terms. Now there is a third word, I haven't even mentioned that yet, but we're going to look at it at a later time. It's only translated hell one time and that's the word Tartarus and uh, we'll come back and look at that later now I hear people say every now and then pretty often that Jesus preached on hell more than he preached on heaven that's a strong statement I'm not sure I agree with that statement every time Jesus spoke about eternal life and he spoke about that quite often every time he spoke about eternal life or everlasting life He was really talking about heaven because that's where we're going to live out everlasting life. That's where we're going to live out eternal life. So he spoke about heaven a lot. He spoke about hell too because they're both so important. Stillfaith.com came up with 149 verses in the Bible about hell. Now the word hell is only used in the New Testament 23 times like we said some translations translate 11 of those Hades which is not bad at all and so only 23 times but sometimes the terms like this are used a fiery furnace a place where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth the word hell is not actually used in many passages that talks about hell the same is true about heaven, by the way. We know that Jesus is talking about heaven here and the, the uh, beggar who went there, but the word heaven is not used in our text. The phrase Abraham's bosom is used. And so, references to hell or at least 149. This one website found that many references to hell in the Bible now there are some words that overlap for instance in in Greek and Roman mythology they use the terms Hades and Tartarus those words are in the Bible as well but they're just overlapping terms the concepts the truths and, uh, of these places are different. Just like in world religions today, they, every world religion would use words that would overlap, like love, and sacrifice, and dedication, and uh, wisdom, and so forth, and faith. But they mean something different in the Word of God. So what we're talking about, I don't want you to confuse what you've heard and seen and so forth about uh, mythology with what the Bible teaches. I'm simply telling you what the Bible teaches. So, it's uh, Hades and Tartarus from a biblical teaching and not from a mythological teaching. Now, with that said, let's go back to our text. Now, we really looked at those first few verses last week, but I just want to read over them to get the context. So back up to verse 19. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Then there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Laid there, notice he's he probably crippled, we would assume, since he was laid there apparently by somebody else who laid him down, helped him get there. And, uh, and he was full of sores. Verse 21, And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and lit, licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels unto Abraham's bosom, or heaven, and the rich Man also died and was buried and in hell, or Hades, as we pointed out last week. He lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he might dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame." Now, that's how far we got last week and uh, in this story. Now, again, this is in parable form. Some people, scholars, have argued that it's not a parable, but it's a true story because in no other parables of Jesus are proper names used. And here you have two, Lazarus and Abraham. Uh, And so, since Jesus is the sovereign of the universe and has seen everything that's ever happened... (laughs) Uh, It's very likely that this is a true story that happened. And he's telling this true story, but he's telling it in a parable form to teach us, to contrast heaven and hell. Now, again, last week we emphasized the rich man wasn't going to hell because he was rich, of course. And And the beggar didn't go to heaven because he was poor or sick. The beggar went to heaven because... He had received the forgiveness of sin from God. And the rich man went to hell because he had not. He was probably very religious. Because Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees when he told this story. But he had never received the forgiveness of sin. So, we come to verse 25. How did Abraham respond to this Request, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from here hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from there, from thence. And so, he responds by telling him, "Uh, Lazarus can't go to you with a drop of water, and you can't come to us to get any water or anything else. When you die, your destiny is fixed. And there's no travel between the two destinies. And we see that here. I know some people teach that if you're somehow good enough in Hades or hell, and your, and your kinfolks offer up enough prayers and give enough offerings, they might get you out of hell and into heaven. But that is, of course, biblically untrue. And uh, the truth here is that you can't pass from one to the other. When you die, when I die, our destinies are settled. By the way, another thing too, it's interesting that that uh, the rich man prayed. So apparently you can pray in hell, but it's too late. His prayers are not answered. But if you're still alive, it's never too late. Amen? And so There's a great gulf fix. Now, that word gulf can be translated chasm. If you've got a newer translation, it might say chasm. Or it might say a divide. There's a great divide. Or it might say a great separation between these two places. The word great is our word mega. So there's a mega separation dividing these two places. Now, I'm going to come back and talk in detail in two weeks about this divide here, this apparent uh, divide. And it is a divide, not just apparent, but sometimes it's a little misunderstood. I'm going to come back and talk about that in two weeks. So look now in verse 27. And then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send uh, him to my father's house. For I have five brethren... That he may testify to them, lest they come to this place of torment. You wonder, obviously, in hell he was aware of his family and his family's lost condition. Can you imagine that in itself is unbearable to think about, isn't it? Some commentators have said you can still see that he he sees himself more important than Lazarus because he wants Abraham to send Lazarus like an errand boy to do certain things for him there seems to be no repentance hell is not a place that tries to get people to repent it's a place of punishment The time for repentance is past. But he does ask for somebody to go to his brothers. Maybe he had some kind of genuine love for them. Or maybe he was the one who who led them in the path he had gone. That they were righteous because they were rich and uh, everybody knew them and so forth. They were righteous. They didn't really need forgiveness from God because that was for the bad people. He may have been the one who taught his brothers that. So in heaven you can remember, you can reason, you can, in hell I mean, you can reason, you can remember, you can think. You can even have remorse and regret, know that you lost many opportunities to come to Christ. And so he asked him. Abraham responds, verse 29 Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Let your five brothers hear Moses and the prophets. Now, what's Moses and the prophets? That's all of the Old Testament they had the Old Testament. Moses and the prophets was a, was a term that Jews used to refer to all of the Old Testament. Some of the Jews felt like that the writings of Moses, the Pentateuch, as we would call it, the Torah, as they would call it, was, was the only scripture that was inspired. But many of the Jews felt like the, the whole Old Testament was inspired. So when they say Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible. When they say and the prophets, that's all the writings from the, from the uh, other prophets of the Old Testament. So it was, a, it was a term everybody understood. This rich man understood it well. Let them listen to the word of God. Let them hear them. Verse 30, and he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one... Went unto them from the dead, they would repent. That seems pretty reasonable. A lot of folks think today you need miracles and signs and wonders for people to repent. He says if somebody went to them from the dead, they would surely repent. Is that true? Notice what Abraham says. And he said, uh, verse 31, And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, the word of God, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Wow. It's the word of God that pricks the heart and brings people to Christ. Paul would say that uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel that brings people to Christ. Not miracles, not signs and wonders, whether they're true or untrue. It's the word of God. He said even if somebody rose from the dead and went to them, they wouldn't hear it if they're not willing to hear the word of God. Now, if they're willing to hear the word of God, they would have probably been willing to hear the person from the dead not too long after this Jesus raised somebody from the dead you remember the story his name was Lazarus also but it's a different Lazarus kinda ironic though how you can tie these two together he said if somebody was raised from the dead they'd get saved and and, uh, so Lazarus had been dead for four days. I mean, he was really dead, wasn't he? As the the monkskins would say, he was absolutely dead, undeniably dead. He was sincerely dead. Everybody knew it. The coroner had signed off on it. Everybody knew it. Four days. Jesus stood in front of the grave. Called called him by name. Lazarus, come forth. Because he is the Lord of life. The sovereign one. And he called him forth. And Lazarus came out of the grave been said many times of course that if he hadn't specified who he was talking to all the graves would have emptied. Jesus said there's coming a day when the son of man himself when the son of man shall call forth all people from the grave some to everlasting salvation and some to everlasting condemnation. But here he just called the one Lazarus now let's put the rich man's theory into practice you know the story some people ran right to the Pharisees (coughs) and told them what they had seen, four days dead, everybody knew he was dead and they told the Pharisees, the Pharisees might have said something like oh he wasn't dead, this was a staged thing they said no he'd been dead four days he was sincerely dead (laughs) no they're just faking no we saw him he was dead the coroner signed off on it he was undeniably dead and you saw this with your own eyes we saw it with our own eyes he just simply called him by name and told him to come back from the dead and he did you'd think those Pharisees would have looked at each other. These are the religious rulers of Israel. You'd have thought they'd have looked at each other and said, Wow, he's really the Messiah. After all these years, the Messiah has come in our generation. Let's praise him. They didn't say that. Here's what the scripture says. I read it to you. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together... For to put him to death. If you don't respond to the word, you wouldn't respond even if somebody was raised from the dead. A few verses later it says, and the chief priests consulted how they might put Lazarus to death to death also. <laughs> One coming back from the dead didn't help them, did it? And of course, the ultimate coming back from death is. The resurrection of Christ and they did not believe that either so it's the Word of God that will win our loved ones it's the Word of God that people have to respond to with an open listening heart to come to Christ and so we have this disturbing yet beautiful story of a rich man and Lazarus Now, if we take those 149 verses, let's see what time it is, 149 verses and compile them together, we get some information about hell. We can't look at all 149, but let's let's look at a summary if we compile them together. Look at your screen. Hell and Hades, by the way, hell and Hades are the same as to their torture and as to their torment and so forth and flames. But they are not exactly synonyms. Right now, Hades is full of the disembodied soul of un, uh, uh, souls of unbelievers. Hell, so far, has no one there yet. The first one, we're told, that goes there is the Antichrist, the beast, and then the false prophet, and then Satan himself. And that's all after the Millennial Kingdom. So right now, Hades is full and hell is waiting. One day... As chapter 20 tells us, Hades will be emptied into hell. But if you put the two together, this is what we find out about these places. Biblical hell in Hades is a place of unquenchable fire. It's a place of memory and remorse. Maybe regret, realizing the lost opportunities of life. It is a place of thirst. It is a place of, uh, of misery and pain. It is a place of frustration and anger. It is a place of separation. I know you've heard it. I've heard it. I used to be a construction worker, a carpenter by trade. I've heard it many, many times to people I was witnessing to. I'm, I don't mind going to hell. All my buddies are going to hell, and we're just going to have a big card uh, card playing and booze drinking and just have a good old time when we get there. Not so. It's a place of separation from God, separation from family, separation from friends. It's a, it's a place of undiluted divine wrath. That verse says, God's wrath is poured out without mixture, without watering it down. It's a place that will last for all eternity, forever and ever, as the Scripture says. It is a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of outer darkness. And then, it is a place originally prepared for Satan and his angels, his fallen angels, demons. Not for you and me. God never prepared hell for human beings. People say, how could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. He's made every opportunity for every man and woman, boy and girl, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, like we looked at as we were closing. But let's look at this verse this morning as we close. God is not slack concerning his promises. Now, the context here is that he's talking about the second coming of Christ and that in those last days, people will scoff and mock and make fun of that promise and say, oh, the Bible's been saying that all these years and Jesus hasn't come back. (laughs) But he's coming, isn't he? So he's not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering to us, to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So notice the underline. The Lord is not willing any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, all means all, and that's all it means. All. God wants every one of his created creatures to receive forgiveness. And go to heaven. He's already done everything you need. Jesus went to the cross. Paid the price. Rose again from the dead. Lives right now. And if you will come to him. And call on him. He will forgive your sin. And give you a home in heaven. What about believers? Well the biblical teaching about hell ought to make us very thankful we're not going there amen we ought to be thankful for the cross and for the blood and for the forgiveness of sin and for our home in heaven and we ought to verbalize that often to the one who redeemed us by his blood amen amen be thankful bow with me please <clears throat> maybe you're here and you'd say preacher I've never received Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want you to pray for me. Now, no one's going to come to you or embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. You'd say, I've never received Christ as my Lord and Savior. Pray for me. Would you slip your hands up right now, anywhere across the building, anywhere. Hold it up long enough for me to acknowledge it. Anyone? I wonder as a believer, you'd say, Preacher, I'm not as thankful as I should be. And I want you to pray for me that I'll be even more thankful going forward from this day. Thankful for the blood and for the salvation that is in Christ. Thankful, thankful to Christ Himself for going to the cross and then redeeming me. I want you to pray for me that I'll be more thankful. Would you raise your hand in the building today? Yes, hands are everywhere, all over. My hand's up as well. Father, Thank you for the truth about heaven. Help us to be thankful that we're not going to that terrible place called hell. It's not because we're good. It's because you're good and you have redeemed us. Help us to be thankful, we pray. We give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me, please.